you all. Get out a Bible if you have one. If you don't have a Bible, we have one we'd like to either give to you or loan to you uh, this morning. I'll even tell you what page number it's on. It's on page 887 where we're going to be today, which is John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Hope everybody's doing okay this weekend. Uh, JJ, I appreciate your leadership, man. That was um, powerful for me personally and just thinking about what it means to come near to the Father at a time like this is really, really important, you know, and I think that it's just helped us all to connect with God. This is a big weekend, right? It's, a, it's big in the sense that it's long. It's a three-day weekend for most of you. Uh, also, yesterday, if you are into sports, it was a huge day. I mean, huge day for the year. You, you know what I'm talking about. International Bacon Day. My sport, I meant like gun, hunting, sport. Isn't that disgusting? <laughs> All of that. Did you know that yesterday was really actually is, is recognized as International Bacon Day? Who in here likes bacon? Yeah, see, I knew I loved you all. I love bacon. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, if I could figure out a way to wrap coffee in bacon, I would, like, be in heaven because I love coffee and bacon. I know it sounds really healthy. Um, also, football was yesterday, if you're into football, um, which I, I enjoy watching it myself. But unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch it. But I did see that Rob's team's alma mater did, did lose. Auburn lost yesterday. And also, all for the... For those of you that are into fashion, that the Oregon Mighty Ducks had a new uniform. Did y'all see those new uniforms? I'm trying to connect with those that aren't into sports that are into fashion. You should. They're really, really exquisite. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a big weekend. You know, it's interesting as we talk about what makes this weekend big and, and important. It's really a matter of perspective, right? If you're into football, yesterday was a huge day, especially if you love college football. I know Jada, he loves college football, and so I look forward to Tuesday and him telling me all the things about it that he likes. And, and uh, some of you are into football, maybe you're into bacon, you like it. It's a matter of perspective, right? And so what we're doing here at this time is we're trying to help you see Jesus for who he is. We're trying to give you the perspective that God gives us through his holy word for who Jesus is. And, and there's no pressure uh, from us to you to do anything other than just consider who Jesus is. We've begun this series called Retrace, where we're taking another look at life with Jesus Christ. And last week I asked you, what if we, went all, what if we all went back to retrace how we got to our understanding of who Jesus is? What if we took another look at life with him? Some of you love Jesus, and you gladly follow his way, and you look forward to opportunities to, to get to see him more clearly. Others of you are skeptical about Jesus. You might respect him as someone who was a good leader, did some good things morally, but maybe there are some of you here, I know this to be true, that are skeptical. You, you, you don't believe what we proclaim, and that is that Jesus is God in the flesh. And that through Christ, there is peace in this life and in the next, a peace with God the Father. But would you retrace how you got to where you are in your understanding of who Jesus is for the sake of taking another look at Jesus? Well, here we find ourselves in John's Gospel. And in this series, what we'll be doing is just walking through the story of Jesus as revealed in the four Gospels. 
And we have a story here that's given to us by John. Now, the, the gospel writer, John, is uh, one of the three men who walk most closely with Jesus. Uh, most scholars believe this is who um, is responsible for these stories in this gospel book. Uh, he's selected a large number of available signs about Jesus. So as we do this series, I want to give you a little context to help you understand what's going on in these gospels. And his purpose in this gospel is to bring his readers to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, or the anointed one, the Savior promised by God throughout the Old Testament, and specifically in the prophets, among the prophets. And what John is wanting to do is he's wanting his readers, those that read it for the first time and those that have read it since then, including us today, to experience eternal life in Christ. So here we are in John chapter 1, and we're actually going to be focusing on verse 35. I'll make mention of some verses prior to that for context. But uh, a number of things have happened already in the life of Jesus. Uh, he was born. That has happened, has to happen for life. He grew up, he, he was tempted, he did not sin, he was baptized. And then he begins as a man near the age of 30, three years of public ministry. Now this is a remarkable thing about Jesus. His public ministry was only about three years. So if you're a skeptic and you're in the room, could you just for a minute consider that he is uniquely different than every other leader that has ever existed in that he was public in his work for three years, and yet his work has impacted every area of our culture, every area of science, of medicine, of, uh, of art, and Jesus the man is a significant historical figure. Of course, our claim is that he is God. So we pick up in John chapter 1 at the place where Jesus calls his very first disciples. And in the end, what I want to do is ask you two questions. We've got some work to do to get there. But the two questions are this. What do you want? And secondly, who should you bring? So here we are in John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. Would you stand to your feet as we read these passages together just out of respect for God's word? John chapter 31 is where we'll be. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So verse 35 says, The next day again, John. Well, again, sort of indicates that something has already happened between John and Jesus. Jesus John has actually already seen Jesus. Uh, and, and the scripture 
wants to put this in history. This is a talk about days and, and the next day and all that kind of stuff. So, so we, we see that John encounters Jesus in the verses just prior. But before we read those, you might ask, well, who is this John? Well, simply, John is a man raised up by God to prepare the way for the Messiah. Many people look at John, some of the religious leaders look at John and try to figure him out. He was a curious kind of a fellow. They try to figure him out, and they would ask him, who are you? What we see in verse 26, just a few verses prior, John answered their question. I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John has admitted there is one who's coming after him that's greater than he is. And on this day, just prior to the first day, the verses that we have in mind, John actually sees Jesus. Look there at verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was born, he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. He's talking here about the time that he baptized Jesus. Verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So what John the baptizer is saying is that this man, Jesus, is, is the one who's been promised by God. He is the Lamb of God. So in our passage, John is hanging out with his two disciples, Andrew and another one that's not named. And Jesus uh, is, comes in view. And John says to his two disciples, hey, there he is again. Behold the Lamb of God. This is the one who's come to deliver. He's the rescuer. He's the anointed one. He's the sacrifice. Now, this notion of the Lamb of God would have been significant to those that had any knowledge of what went on in the Jewish religion. Because sacrifices were made to Yahweh. That's a really simplified version of what happens in much of the Old Testament, the sacrificial system. But to help you understand, these sacrifices were made in a way the blood shed by these animals covered up people's sins. Well, here, what John is saying is, here is the Lamb of God. Not a Lamb for God, the Lamb of God. This is one sent by God as a sacrifice for people's sins. Verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, we might quickly glance over this verse as if it wasn't a big deal, but this is huge. It's uncommon for any rabbi, teacher, to tell two of his disciples to go follow another teacher. Very uncommon. And what it shows that John really did understand Jesus to be his superior. It's, oftentimes we know talk is cheap, right? Yeah, Jesus, he's a big deal. No, no, but he's saying, no, he's such a big deal, I'm going to allow my life to be altered and send two of the people that follow me to Jesus, to follow Jesus. So here these two men are, Andrew and this other person. 
They come to Jesus. Jesus looks at them, verse 38, and he says this. What are you seeking? And they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus asked, what are you seeking? And what he's asking here is, what do you want? The implication is that Jesus wants to know what they expect to receive as his followers. And they did not understand fully who he is, which is one reason why John mentions that they call him rabbi, teacher. They didn't understand fully who he is, but they trusted John the baptizer, and they had heard that there would be a Messiah come. John the baptizer says, this is the Messiah, and so they, they go, they follow Jesus, his first conversation with them is him asking, what do you want? What do you expect will happen when you follow me? Now, if they had known that he was the God-man, they might have taken this opportunity to, to ask for something really, really significant, something huge. Or, probably better yet, what they would have done is bow down and worship. If they had understand fully, this is God in the flesh, right before them, asking them what they want, as if, as if whatever they wanted, he would grant. I mean, this is the one who was involved in setting the stars in the sky and giving the mountains their curves. This one stands before them and asks, what do you want from me? They didn't know yet who he was. Before we look at what they asked for, can you just begin to get in your mind what it would have been like to face Jesus in that day? What would it have been like to do life with him? I imagine that his tone was gentle and his posture was inviting. Something about the way he looked and the way he moved and walked and invited people into his presence. Do you remember what it was like the very first time you heard the name of Jesus? This may be helpful, helpful as we retrace to discover how we got to where we are in our understanding of who Jesus is. Where were you? How old were you when you first heard about this man by the name of Jesus? heard from your parents or a grandparent. Or maybe you can remember back to that time when you as a child attended a church. And although you didn't understand what was going on totally, but you remember them talking about Jesus. What did you think of Jesus? Isn't it amazing how the experience that we have surrounding our encounter with Jesus, or the very first time we've heard the name of Jesus, informs our understanding of who Jesus is. Like, if you heard about Jesus in a church that was really, really about rules, then your experience of Jesus is largely about rules. 
You think that relationship with Jesus Christ means you've got to do A, B, C, D, E, F. And if somebody were to ask you, hey, how's it going in your relationship with Jesus? You would immediately try to think of the last time you read your Bible, or the last time you prayed, or the last time you did something to check off your spiritual uh, religiosity kind of a list. Or maybe, maybe your experience of Jesus is, is that he's, he's so... So loving and tender. He's almost weak because your first encounter of him was through like a grandparent. The most influential person in my life is a, a, a grandmother of mine who's passed. She was a weak, feeble. She suffered as a child from polio, and so she always carried a cane, and she may have weighed 105 pounds. Maybe she's. But but what I recognize is that sometimes because. Sometimes I can remind myself that, 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 yes, Jesus is nurturing and he's caring, but my experience of Jesus through her has been very much like tender and gentle. But for some of you, that's become like Jesus is soft and not capable of carrying with you whatever you have going on in your life. What's your experience of Jesus been like? Maybe your experience of Jesus has been through someone who claims to follow him, whose life is an absolute mess. Who shows no sign of them actually being affected by the relationship with Jesus Christ. But they follow him, but they're just as unethical or evil or immoral as anybody else. Maybe that's why you rejected Jesus. What was it like? When you first met Jesus. Let us retrace and consider what it was like for these very first disciples to see him in the flesh. He asks, what do you want? That's what they answer. Where are you staying? In other words, can, can, we, can we spend time with you? We're interested in you. Verse 39, Jesus replies, come, and you will see. There's this rhythm in the Gospels, in life with Christ, where we take interest, people take interest in Jesus, and Jesus invites them to come and see. He invites them into life with him. For John, this idea of staying, and specifically the word stay, or some form of it, is is really, really important. He, he loves the word for its literal meaning, but, but really more so for its theological implications. So there's the, the word staying is used 112 times in the New Testament. More than half of them are by John. And, and there are times, like in this instance, where it means to stay or to dwell, like I was to come and stay at your house. That's, that's here what he's meaning. But there's, there's a theological implication here that John... We see John using where it means to remain or to continue or to abide, to spend time with, to get to know, to be in relationship with. I make this point because as we hear Jesus asking, what do you want? We, we must learn or relearn that whatever we want to receive from Christ, it's going to happen in the context of a relationship. It's personal. 
And if your experience of Jesus is some kind of distant icon that's up on the wall that, that you merely do a set of things to appease this, this being, then it might be hard for you to grasp that Jesus is personal. He's close. It's not uncommon for a disciple to stay with his rabbi or his teacher. But it's remarkable to consider that Jesus invites these two men to join him, to stay with him. Maybe your experience of Jesus has been something other than this. I have one thing about college football season, specifically the first day of college football that always strikes me is, is when these uh, big schools pay the little schools, or no, the, the big schools get, they pay the little schools to play them. You know, did you see yesterday Oklahoma State beat Savannah State 84 to nothing? But you know, Savannah State got paid $385,000 to get that book. Something to me is just about that, it's just like broken, you know? And, and I was thinking about that, and I, and I thought that this is a really common um, sort of illustration of how, how people relate to Jesus. It, it's kind of like, well, Jesus is kind of like that big guy who uses me to make himself look good. But I get a little something out of it. But really, at the end of the day, Oklahoma State doesn't care about Savannah State, Right? They don't, all they want to do is make themselves look good, and they are going to smash these other guys, and then give them a little something. Here's some change, but really what they've done is they walked away going, yeah, I am awesome. Look at us. You know, I guarantee you today they're celebrating. Man, 84 to nothing. Those guys didn't have nothing. Remember that? Yeah. But some people relate to Jesus like this, where it's almost like, it's like, it's like they think that Jesus is kind of this big superpower. He's, he's asked us to play. Give us a little something. But really, he didn't care much more about us. Let me tell you, that's not what Jesus is like. What Jesus does, does is he invites us, or he walks across to the other side of the field. He invites us to be a part of his team, and he helps us to be everything that we're meant to be for a greater purpose. So Jesus asks, what do you want? His disciples say, where you're staying, we want to get to know you. And something has happened, and this period of time between uh, verse 37 to 35 through 39 and then starting in verse 40 because they've, they've gotten to know him a little bit. And we read in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And notice, no longer are they calling him rabbi, teacher. They're acknowledging him, although I don't think anybody would maybe think that they, they fully understood yet what it meant to call him Messiah. There's something in their time with him, seeing him, that they've moved from this guy's a good teacher to this guy may be the answer. This guy may be the one I'm looking for. You know, Andrew is a significant figure in his Gospels. He's the first one to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. He's the first one to acknowledge him as the anointed one. And what Andrew does here is he brings someone to Jesus. There's someone in his life, his brother, 
Simon Peter. And his experience of, of Jesus has gone from rabbi to messiah. And now he says, i got to go tell somebody else. So he goes and finds his brother, Simon Peter, and he says, Simon Peter, you've got to meet this, this man who's more than a man. So Simon Peter comes along. Jesus looks at him and says, you are Simon, son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. Did these things just happen? Andrew has brought somebody to meet Jesus because he knows that Jesus provides answers. When Jesus looked at Simon, he knew the man's character. He knew his destiny. Jesus gives him the name uh, Cephas, which uh, Peter is the Greek translation of the word Cephas, and the word means rock. As you know, Peter, this man invited by Andrew to see Jesus, is the man who will be like the rock, the very first person on whom the church begins to build, uh, be built and to grow through. He's the first leader of the Testament church. Two other times in uh, the Gospels, Andrew is mentioned. On both occasions, he's bringing somebody to see Jesus. Two questions for you. What do you want? Why are you here? What do you want? What if you could look at Jesus face to face in this moment and hear him asking you, what do you want? Can you imagine that he would wait patiently for you as you you move beyond your, your first answers, which are like, I want financial success, I want a happy marriage. Oh, those things are okay. But, but what, if, what if just for a moment you were face to face with Jesus? And rather than asking for those things, which frankly, some of which you can manufacture on your own, you ask Jesus for something that only he can give. What do you want? Is it adventure? Is it adventure you seek? The disciples that follow Jesus are about to experience an adventure unlike anything they've ever seen. They're about to be with Jesus when Jesus places his hand on lepers, heals them, the most disgusting outcast of society, and holds them. They're about to be with Jesus in a boat, in a storm, when Jesus speaks with authority, calming the storm. They're about to see Jesus invite in the marginalized into relationship. They're about to see Jesus put the religious leaders in their place. That is adventure. Is it adventure you see? They're about to see Jesus go to the cross alone, suffering. For crimes he didn't commit. Is it adventure you seek? Maybe it's purpose you seek. Maybe you want your life to be a purpose. You know, just like JJ mentioned, that the weeks are going by faster and faster and faster, and you're waking up and you're going to work and you're taking care of your children and you're helping them to live moral lives and you're going to bed and you're waking up and you're doing this kind of thing over and over. But maybe just for a moment, if Jesus were to ask you what you want, 
you would say, I want my life to be filled with purpose. Did you know that Jesus can take your gifts, your talents, your passion, and root them in God's redemptive mission? God can take you and your life and your meager offering and use it for something that will last beyond your life. It's purpose, you see. Maybe, just maybe, what you seek on this Labor Day weekend is rest. I don't, I mean, certainly rest physically is important, but maybe when I say rest, what you feel is the need for rest for your soul. Maybe, for whatever reason, you go about your days just on the verge of panic. Just stressed out and anxiety. I've been there. I know the feeling. Maybe if you could look Jesus in the eye and answer the question, what do you want? You would answer, I want rest for my soul. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, away, take my way upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your soul. What do you want? You'll never find rest outside of the kind of rest that Jesus offers. Consider that. Like in this moment, what do you want? Just take 60 seconds, bow your head, and consider that question. If you are here in your journal and you're taking notes, then just maybe write it. or when somebody meets Jesus, they truly encounter them and him as a Messiah. They go and they tell other people and invite them to see this Jesus. For some reason in our in church culture, it's become a little more like, okay, now that I've met Jesus, I've got to go and learn everything that there is to know about Jesus so that I have all the right answers about Jesus. And once I get to that place of spirituality, then I can start telling people about Jesus. But it's just, it's just not the way we see it in the Gospels. You know, those of you that, that are the youngest in your faith, you're the most, frankly, the most capable of inviting people to meet Jesus. It's no offense to those of you that have lived all and have followed Jesus for a long time, but just, just the way it is. Who should you bring? Oh, God forbid that we ever say, 
yes, Jesus, I'll take what you, I'll take the adventure, I'll take the purpose, I'll take the rest, and I'll take it. But what if we were, as we're receiving from Jesus, inviting others to receive also? Who should you bring? What's the name of somebody in your life that you should bring to Jesus? I don't know what to do, I don't know how to do it, just tell them what God has done in your life. What God is doing in your life. What Jesus has done. To provide life. What do you want? 